Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport, and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance, and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. Hello, and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud, or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience, and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone, for another week of Challenges That Change Us. A huge shout out to everyone that has gotten in touch this week via DMs and messages. This episode is a direct result of you letting me know what you want to hear about and the types of questions you want me to ask. I also had an overwhelming amount of feedback about the last two episodes, number 37 with Brenda, who was wrongly accused and sent to prison, and Anna's episode, number 38, who told her story about childhood sexual assault for the first time publicly. We have some exciting plans for 2023, and the first one kicks off on January the 2nd at 8.30 a.m., so save the date. We will be running a free masterclass on mindset and setting you up for success in 2023. There will be loads more information on this in the Challenges That Change Us Facebook group. So if you are not part of our family yet, press pause and jump out and jump into Facebook and join our community. We were posting all the information and it's a must-attend workshop. Today, I want to introduce you to Alex Robinson, the founder of Alex Robinson Wellness. She holds an advanced diploma in nutritional medicine, is a yoga teacher, and has completed the third age women's menopause transition certificate. Alex is passionate about sharing strategies and helping women navigate the hormonal phases of life. She lives near a busy road, so you will hear a few cars and trucks going past in this interview. We did our best to reduce any background noise, but there will still be moments where you may notice it. This episode is a hot topic. It is about premenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. The information here is for both men and women, and it's the sort of information that you want even before you start the journey. Man, I certainly learnt a lot this episode. If I'm really super honest with you guys, I kind of had my head in the sand about menopause. I thought when it's time, you just go to the doctor and you do a test and they tell you you're in menopause. Um, that is not the case. Today has taught me how important it is for us to know all of this information and know it early. So share this episode with your sisters, your mums, your aunties, and don't forget the men. They also walk this road with you, whether they're your partner, your friend, your father, your boss at work. So today we discuss what happens in menopause, how people know that they are in this chapter of their life, what, when, and who to ask for help when you need it. And Alex gives a number of gold nuggets on things to be aware of and things you can try yourself. And of course, we cover sex, 
the tummy tire, and life post-menopause. The second half of this episode where we do talk about sex may not be appropriate for little ears. I want to give a trigger warning. We do briefly mention at the start about members of Alex's family being diagnosed with cancer. So please skip over the first seven minutes if this is a conversation that you don't want to listen to today. And the rest of the episode is all about menopause itself. Let's get into it. So today I'd love to welcome Alex Robertson to the podcast. Thank you, Alex, for giving up your time and coming on today. Thank you so much, Ali. I love talking. So we'll be in for a treat. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Alex, I really love to start each podcast with asking our guests what animal best describes them and what is it about that animal that made you choose it? That was a very interesting question, Ali. As we get older, we don't often think of ourselves in that way so much. So I did have to think about it a bit, but I came up with an otter and probably for a number of reasons. I love being in the water. I've been a water baby as long as I can remember. And they eat a lot of seafood primarily, which is also me. The thing that really got me was that um, they're quite playful animals and they do things intentionally just for the sake of enjoyment, such as creating a little water slide and then sliding down it. And I, I think I'm like that too. I like to, particularly with my family, just create drama and environments where I can play silly tricks and do things. So. <laughs> And did you grow up near the ocean? Like when you say you're a water baby, were you ocean or near a lake or? No, we actually grew inland. I grew up in Tamworth, New South Wales, but I I was in the pool all the time. I used to swim competitively from quite a young age. And then I've always done it for fitness and I've played water polo. And it's just a happy place for me to be, especially in the ocean. Now we do live beside the ocean. We had 20 years in Wagga Wagga before that. So we're really well and truly ready for this beautiful life beside the ocean. Where are you now? Where are you based? Uh, In Newcastle, just north of Sydney. Yeah. And Alex, do you want to take us through? I'm sure there's many, many chapters that have gotten you to where you are today. We're going to be talking about menopause and pre-menopause on this interview today. But maybe if we just take it back a little bit and have a conversation about what's led you to where you are today. Yeah, well, I think that probably the trigger point for me when I really started on my wellness journey was when I discovered that both my parents were diagnosed with cancer within six weeks of each other. And they were sort of in their late 50s, I think. And and that sort of just threw me into this spiral of doom and concern and, oh my gosh, that's my genetics. What am I going to do? And so out of fear, really, I, you know, I chased down what I could do to help myself um, and reduce my chances of having, uh, well, I wasn't going to get prostate cancer, but breast cancer. And so then I I got into study. I studied to be a nutritionist and I was always love food and cooking. So that became even more important for me. And so once I finished studying, I started up my business. And as time went on and life experiences happened, I've really sort of found my sweet spot in women's health and menopause health. And and so that's led me to where I am today. When you said that in the beginning about your mum and dad, firstly, I'm sorry to hear about that. That's in six weeks. And how old were you when that happened? I guess I would have been in my late 20s. And I remember my mum, she didn't really have any hair at that time because she'd been through chemo when I was getting married and starting to have a family. And so, yeah, I always remember that time. They're both really well. They're really, I mean, they always looked after themselves, but even 
more so now and since then so very lucky and they're both still alive now yeah oh that's a beautiful beautiful story I was scared to ask them for a moment I was like (gasps) (laughs) yeah and so it is one of those moments though isn't it when you find out something like that and you question your genetics and you question your environmental factors especially within six weeks my auntie uncle and cousin all got diagnosed within six weeks of each other and my first thought was you know what is it? Like that's unusual. And so, you know, I can really understand that that questioning and that curiosity around, well, what can I do within my life to kind of make sure that I'm setting myself up for success? Yeah, and the wonderful thing is now that I know what I know, I, I don't have fear because there's so much science and research now to say that a lot of modern-day disease is environmental. You know, there's only a very small percentage that is genetic. So, we, we can take the ch- charge of our health and, and run take the reins and manage our health outcomes a lot better now that we know that. And I think that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. So before we get into menopause, let's have a little bit of chat about what your business is. You know, you said that got you to where you are. You're running your own company at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was never an intention to do that. After I finished studying, no one was employing nutritionists in regional New South Wales. It was still a bit of a woo-woo sort of thing. And this is only like six, seven years ago. I only sort of found my passions later in life. So I just started up my own business. And thankfully, you know, I, I, had, I knew a lot of people. I practiced yoga in a studio. So I had quite a, a good audience, I suppose. And I had really good support. So that was a clinical nutrition. And as time went on, I realized that as wonderful as nutrition is and how important it is, it's only one factor involved in managing your health and well-being. So that's why I went and um, uh, trained to be a yoga teacher also to try and offer a, a more holistic approach to people's healing. And that's been wonderful. So I started running some yoga and um, nutrition events where I lived at home. We had a bit of land, so that was lovely to do. And then just uh, at the start of lockdown, we moved to the coast and just everything shut down. So it's been uh, quiet in, in my business. I've had online clients and wonderfully, I have lots of Riverina clients still supporting me, which is great. And next year, I want to try and get into doing some of those events that I, I was doing and really enjoying which hopefully will also lead into starting to educate women in the district about all of the things to know about menopause and the lead up to it. Alex, I can't tell you how often I hear people come onto this podcast and it's almost like I think about it as like an accidental businesswoman, you know, like I was the same. It's sort of like it fell in and then we found a passion and it grew from there and, you know, the clients came and then you get more involved in it and it just starts to expand in that space. Are there some career highlights so far that you've had? Yeah, I've worked and collaborated with some other fellow yogis and wellness practitioners in Wagga. So we've designed uh, weekend retreats, which has been really fun. And I've learned so much from that. I was asked by a charity event um, group called Wagga Women's Health Centre to go in and deliver nutrition workshops to the ladies who came in. And, and so that was wonderful to interact with lots of different levels of society and less privileged too. You know, I, I've grown up, I feel very privileged that I can afford healthcare and eat really well and all the things that I need to do. So it, it can be very life-changing working with women 
in that respect. And I've done some fun corporate yoga classes too. That's always really fun because, you know, people are quite awkward at the start, but by the end of it, everyone's loose and free and enjoying themselves, even the blokes let go. So that's always really thrilling when you see that you've affected people like that. And yoga is getting more and more popular. I had a yoga studio and I'm a yoga teacher and um, particularly amongst the men, like I used to see more and more men coming in and once they try it and feel the benefits of it, it's like it almost becomes an everyday necessity. That's it. And I think it's that cumulative impact. The more that you do it, the more you feel change and it's what you take out of the room of the studio and share with the world. That's sort of when you can think, is this me? What, what am I saying? What's coming out of my mouth? But damn, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And I really, there's so many questions I want to ask you about menopause. So I'm going to dive mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, because we are only on for a short amount of time and my question list is massive. I reached out to our audience um, over the last week to ask them what they'd like to know more about. And it came in floods. Like I was like, oh, there's too many questions here. So I guess maybe a really great place to start might be in the perimenopause phase. You know, what happens right at the beginning? How will people know or what are the signs? Great place to start. And and that's such a good point that you make about how do people know because a lot of people don't for years. I know it took me a little while and it was only because I was studying that I started to get an idea of what might be going on. It can start in your late 30s. That's considered very early menopause or, or perimenopause. That's very normal. And, and so it could go on for 12 years. Maybe you only have five years, maybe two months. It's just such a unique experience for every woman. But I, I guess the key things that you'd be seeing would be firstly a change in your monthly cycle. That's a pretty key indicator. And as soon as anyone notices that, they should be tracking it on a period app or some sort of tracking app. It's very helpful as you go down the line and you're going to the doctor for things that you can start to go, well, look, actually I had a break of three months and then I had two normal periods and then another four months without it. So those things, helping yourself is really important. Because there's so many women I know amongst my peer group that either have the marina or something that actually stops the periods Mm. altogether. So what happens, is there another way to kind of notice or things that you might see? No, this is the tricky thing. Birth control, hormonal birth control has its place. I think it's probably a little bit overused now. You know, it's there's a certain time when it might be needed to give someone a break from if they've got lots of flooding going on and, you know, they just can't leave the house and they just need to get on top of that. Um, but it basically masks and hides what's really going with your body. You don't know when you're ovulating. You're not having a real bleed, a real monthly bleed. It's just induced by artificial steroids and hormones that are in whatever contraception you're using and taking blood tests and things like that aren't going to be true when you're taking certain medications interesting as you say that all i'm thinking about is so many of my friends and myself don't want to have more babies (laughs) you know it's like okay so you know for a lot of people there's that that aspect of it right they've finished their childbearing years and now they 
have something in place to ensure that they don't have any more children. Yeah. And because I went into menopause on the early side, I guess that was something that was a benefit to me. I didn't need to worry about that so much. But from my reading and the people, some of the people that I follow, it almost seems like going back to natural ways is best for your body. Mm. And, you know, we've been on, I think a lot of us have been on contraceptive devices or pills for a couple of decades maybe and Mm. it's really I think important to pull back if you can and if you're interested in managing what's going on just to give your body a rest obviously and then be able to see the cycle and what's really happening and what physical symptoms you can notice and feel. And I guess if you're at that that time in your life that you're questioning, maybe it could be going on that that could be a good reason to kind of withdraw from some of those contraceptions. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And so I realised that I might have jumped too soon because we didn't explain the difference between perimenopause and menopause. Yes. And so when we were talking about the symptoms and you said it could last two months, two weeks, two decades, like I wasn't sure then when you said that whether we're talking about perimenopause or menopause. So could we just maybe separate the two and then go through what we might notice? Yes. So perimenopause is the lead-up phase to menopause and it, it can go on for many years or a short period of time. So in terms of symptoms and how it makes you feel, it's probably a, a, a more rockier stage of your life than menopause and I often joke about it my brother said to me once oh you're just in a whole mado which I saw red when he said that to me but actually it's a really great term because what's going on essentially is you're having these peaks of estrogen and then it's dropping as your body's trying to regulate and find its new normal, which can take many years, as we've said. So there goes the mood swings and and the sleep and then bad food choices. And it all just sort of leads into another. So you may not start to notice quite a myriad of symptoms. And then there's also all these strange little weird symptoms, like suddenly my shoulder, which, you know, I've been swimming for such a long time, had this funny creaky pain and I, I, it was locked down and I moved. So I didn't do anything about it for a year. And then I went to physio and got sorted, but it's quite common for women to have shoulder problems and joint problems and swelling, histamine reactions. So starting to get blocked up in the head and have reactions to foods that have never been a problem before. So I guess the thing is to be vigilant and start noticing what's not normal for me Mm. and really, yeah, taking the reins, as I said, and and creating a bit of a a life story of you and your reproductive hormonal life. I wish that I had done that way back so I could remember all the shitty things that happened as well as the aha moments. But it's very powerful to know that stuff. And to be able to share it. I'm thinking as you're talking, I have three daughters and it makes so much sense to kind of keep a female diary over the years because you think about the hormones when they're going through teenage years, then when you're trying to get pregnant. And now when we're talking about perimenopausal or menopause, it's like that's extremely valuable information, but I don't know anyone that's kept a diary around that stuff. You're so right because it's come from a place where we push it under the carpet. It's hush, hush, Mm. secret women's Mm. business. And so I'm really passionate about pulling it out from under the rug and making sure that not only women know, but blokes too, because it affects them. 
just as much, if not more. And I have so many questions, you know, about the men as well in this podcast that I want to get to. So when you're saying some of the signs, what I'm just going to feed back to you what I'm hearing because I haven't been through it yet. So this is all brand new information for me. So I'm going to come in with really genuine, authentic questions in this space. So you're saying that things, when you start to notice something different for you personally, that's kind of a red flag. It's like, this is how I normally operate and walk in the world. Something's just not right. And starting to notice and be aware of that in the first place is kind of the number one thing. Then starting to track it. And if you can think back to things from your history, maybe comparing that, but starting to make a bit of a diary or record it so that you can go to the doctors or the professionals and have the conversation with them. And also if you're using some sort of contraception and you don't have your periods, maybe it's worth having a conversation with someone about whether it's the right time to have your periods back so you can track that. Or if you do have your periods, start to jot that down and and take note as well there. Yeah, I I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that there's some unusual things that can happen in the body. You said there can be joint pain, there can be swelling. Mm. Your periods can start to change the time so they might get infrequent. Yes, and then as time goes on, you might experience flooding, which is essentially exactly what it sounds like. You can't leave the Mm -hmm. house like you're changing your tampons or your pads or your cup a lot more frequently than you have previously. And that's just the shifting hormones again. Progesterone and estrogen are slowly starting to dip and wane. So that can be a very stressful time. And when I was in my early 40s and these things were happening in my group of friends, a number of girls had hysterectomies to manage that problem. And I sort of feel like now in this day and age there's probably some things we can do before it gets to that you know because we we essentially want to try and keep all our reproductive organs those tissues have an active and valuable part to our body's function all our life so that's a pretty serious thing flooding but there are ways of managing that and then you're changing appetite you're changing palate what you want and It's also a call-up time to start evaluating what's going in the body because, as I said, it's like this um, vicious circle. Your hormones are changing. That's affecting your neurotransmitters, the ones particularly responsible for mood and sleep. And if you're not sleeping well, that has a direct impact on um, what you feel like eating. You know, you want things that are going to reward the brain center and stimulate you, make you feel good. So you're going for high fat, high carb foods that really don't service. And then that's going to have implications on our weight distribution. And at the end of the day, it's about inflammation. And I think this is a really interesting thing just to consider that as women start to reach this perimenopausal phase, they're also entering a phase of increased inflammation. And that's that's just the way it is. We're not as resilient to stress or day-to-day activities and how we have handled life in the past. We're not as tough because estrogen plays, I call her the queen, she does play such a huge role in so many functions and is a a cofactor and it joins up to do so many other jobs in the body. And you don't realise how important that is until it starts to disappear. Yeah. And 
I'm just going to go back a little bit because I wrote down a few things as you were talking and and I just want to check in with those. So some of the things that you talked about was your sleep can change, whether that's a direct result of it or whether that's because of environmental factors, but that's one of the, you know, if you're noticing quality or quantity of sleep changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. It's also a time of life where often uh, it's the sandwich, you know, we've got children and then we might have elderly parents that we're, trying to juggle both sides. We might be at a time in our career where we're hitting our straps and wanting to go hard. Women say yes a lot. We're trying to get better at saying no, but we like to placate and please people. So there's a lot of that going on. So there's a bit of a stress cycle there, which was Mm. probably already there. But once you get into this perimenopausal stage, it stage it ramps up even more and it's interesting when you say we're less resilient because we almost in this podcast talk about how all our life adversity makes us more resilient yes. you know so I guess that's something I picked off of and as you said it is potentially we need to be a little bit more nurturing of ourselves absolutely even though we come in with more experience it's absolutely right and you know we do think we're tough we've been the matriarch of the family when we have children or you know we run businesses women are tough but this thing takes you for six if mm. for most of the time because we're so underprepared for it. And it, it, for me, like I always look, oh, that's an older woman's thing. I'll, I'll think about that later. But in, by 45, I was in full menopause and I had to come to terms with, whoa, I'm still sort of young. What's going on? Mm. And I've got to have all these tests and start thinking about older person things. So that, that's been a very liberating and confronting and awkward thing to do all at once. <laughs> so we've got the busyness of life happening. And, and so we've got this stress cycle happening. We've got elevated cortisol going on and cortisol and blood sugar work together. So we have elevated cortisol, then we've got to pr- produce more blood sugar because the body's like, oh, what's happening? What's coming? Where's the saber-toothed tiger? Oh, I've got to get myself prepared. And there isn't one that that's our life. So we've got all this body flooded with glucose and that can lead to central adiposity or, or, you know, this, this spare tire thing happening because it just stress and inflammation create this environment. Around the belly you're talking about. Yeah. Mm. And you hear a lot of women talking about that. I own a gym and it's something that commonly comes up around this age is how do I get rid of this? What I feel like is a tire around my belly. Yeah. Well, Can we um, put a little bookmark there? Because I want to come back to that. That's really important. Mm -hmm. So then we're often looking at technology later in the evening when we should be winding down and preparing our body and signaling to our body that it's rest time. So the more stimulation we have at night, again, that's going to be hard to fall asleep. And then if we've got children or things that are on our minds, we're waking up in the night and we're not having quality sleep, like you said, and we should be aiming for between seven to nine hours of sleep and it should be regular in terms of when you go to bed, like nine till six or whatever it is. The body, the female body loves routine and that's when our nervous system starts to work and calm down, when we have routine and That's also affecting all the other body systems in the body too when our nervous system feels like it's in a safe place. 
And we did a beautiful podcast on that if people haven't gone back and checked it with Jessica on the autonomic system. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good full episode on how to look after your nervous system. I was thinking, Alex, we talked about sleep. You mentioned mood. That's probably one of the most common things that I hear from women is I feel like I'm in a roller coaster with my moods and my Mm. mood swings. Or sometimes they even say things like, I feel like I'm going crazy. Mm. Like that's some of the language I hear. Is that related to premenopause or menopause? Yeah, it it certainly can be. And mood is such a tricky thing. There can be a number of reasons why our mood changes. But essentially, again, it's about estrogen leaving the body. So what happens in our brain is that the thermoregulator, you know, our temperature controller, it's like a little surveillance system up there. It gets out of whack. So it's trying to find its new set point, new normal. So we get these hot flushes. And then on top of that, obviously, that feels really bad at night. If you're getting hot flush, you've got to take clothes off and bed sheets, maybe have a shower. So you wake up in the morning and you're feeling terrible. Again, it's affected the quality of your sleep. And also, how are you feeling about yourself? We've all had ourselves held in a certain light all our lives. Like we, we have an expectation of how we look and how our body functions. And it's like we have to let go of all that. I say it's like the reset button. And we don't have a choice in that most of the time. It's we're sort of forced into it. But once we accept it, it's it's a great thing. But yeah, the mood thing, we've still got to function for our families and have all our responsibilities, yet we're running in a depleted state. Mm. So it just makes complete sense that you're feeling moody. And along with that is brain fog. That's another big one that a lot of women talk about. And that's just that like you're walking around in a fog or a haze. And I remember feeling like that. I was studying, I think, when that was happening for me. And I'd go to these lectures and take notes and turn up to tutorials and think, am I going to remember that stuff? (laughs) I have. And I've had to just go and, and do read over things again. And I think you find your way through. But there's lots of things you can do to support that. And it's not forever, you know, it's just a period, a phase of time. And it sounds like when you're talking that we could be talking about an autoimmune disease. So, you know, how do people know? Like as I'm listening to you, I'm like these are all very common symptoms and side effects of an autoimmune. So how will they know if they're listening to this and being like, this isn't normal? Like is this not how everyone feels? Or, Or they're like, yes, I've got that and, yes, I feel like this. And how can they know that they need to go and see a doctor and ask questions? Well, look, I would just be doing that anyway. I say, which is what's actually happening overseas in the UK and in Europe, at 45 women are going in for the 45 menopause report card. Okay, let's start with a blank page. Where are you at? And I just think that's awesome and we should all be doing that. I love that. So what happens with that blank page? Talk me through that. What are the things that they start to put on that? So they're going through your your, your basic health. They'd be looking at your reproductive health over your lifetime. Then they'd be probably doing some bloods that would be useful to help track and see where you are and establishing a, a baseline or a bench line. And then I would say you'd be checking in, if things aren't too bad, maybe every year, but you'd probably be going every six months once you start to notice some more things. But I think as soon as your periods are starting to be 
different to what you're used to, that would be a flag for me to start inquiring. Yeah. It's a really good way to think of it too, that your period is a really good report card for your general health. So if you have, you know, what a period's meant to look like and thinking about the flow, number of days, the discharge, are there clots, the colour, and noticing those things if they're changing too. So you can really drill down. So there's not a specific test. Like you can't go to the doctor and be like, I think that I'm going through menopause. Can we check a box? No. You know, people were talking about measuring estrogen or progesterone hormones, but because it's so erratic and things are changing so much that it's not giving a true indication over the long term. One day you'll have a reading here. A month later, it'll be here. I went to see an endocrinologist in Sydney in the early days because my estrogen was just through the roof. And he just said, oh, well, welcome to this perimenopause phase of life for you, Alex. It didn't really say too much more or give me any advice. So I felt quite, okay, what do I do with that? But I went and started working with a naturopath, which has been wonderful. So, Well, someone else has said that to me. And so, and she mentioned that in the text message she sent me today, she went to a naturopath. So let's talk about if you do think that you might be going through it, you're starting to track perhaps the clinician that you're seeing, you either feel like they're not listening or it's not feeling like it's moving as fast as you'd like it to move. What are the options? Yeah, it's a really good question because I feel like since I went through it, this just exploded with all these women health specialists and it's a really good thing to shop around because this is your body, your health, your life, and you're allowed to run it how you want and you need to have a relationship with someone that's going to work with you, not sort of be telling you what to do. So I guess that's why I had worked with a naturopath who I had before all this started, but I just realized how she resolved my issues previously and she specializes in women's health. So that's obviously someone that you want to look for, someone who specializes in women's health. And there's a greater range of tests that work in functional medicine that in conventional medicine they don't know about. Something like the Dutch test, which probably some of your um, listeners would know about, which stands for dried urine testing of comprehensive hormones. And you need someone who knows how to read that. It's a very complex test, but it can tell you a lot. Who's the kind of person that can read that? So a naturopath or Mm -hmm. someone who's specialising in women, in endocrine, health, female fertility. If they've gone on and done some, you know, they've become functional practitioners. So embracing the naturopathic, natural health side of things also, which is starting to become a little bit more commonplace, which is great to see. They may not be one themselves, but they may work in a centre where they could refer that sort of service. Are there other tests like that, like the Dutch test? There are a lot of tests that are becoming more and more available. These things are expensive though. So there's probably things that you can do beforehand, which, you know, I always say to women, you know, as these things are starting to creep up on you, let's get on top of obviously your nutrition because you can be in charge of that and lifestyle practices, which is what I really came to believe and see such great improvements in myself. Again, they're just simple things but have been forgotten. And when we're so overwhelmed and probably a bit fearful of all these tests and people we've got to go and see and invasive procedures, it's nice to know that lifestyle practices can make such a big impact and quite obviously reduce symptoms. 
but it's about consistency. And I'd imagine for some people, they want to know what's wrong with them first. Like they're chasing an answer before they start doing the things that will move the dial. So I guess what I'm hearing when you talk, Alex, is you can still chase the answers whilst taking control of some really significant areas in your life that we know and research tells us will actually make a huge difference regardless of potentially what's actually going on, whether it be an autoimmune or menopause or, you know, stress, all of these things that we're talking about, these foundational blocks, they help with just about everything. Like I can't really think of something where it would be unhelpful. You nailed it, Ali. And that's why I feel so passionate about it being doing nutrition and lifestyle because, If you can get, as you said, that foundation established and um, educate women on how to look after themselves, which we should have been doing all along, but we've got caught up in our busy life, then when we actually need to go and do these other things, hopefully our, our turnaround time and our return to health will be, you know, quicker. But we have to remember that we didn't get into this state overnight or in a few weeks or a few months. Often, People have been inflamed or unwell for years and tolerated it for a long time. Women tend to tolerate pain, don't they? Mm. Or push it to the side, abandon themselves so that they can be there for either their work colleagues, for their career, for their children, whatever it be. It's like we, I think it's part of our instinct as women is, is to do that. It is. But if there's ever a time in your life where you need to put yourself first, this phase is it because of what we've just said but also you're setting yourself up for the future. And we know that as we get older, our risk for certain diseases increases. So if we can start to put a a regime or lovely rituals or routines in place that support what we need as individuals and stick to that for the long term, then I think down the track, we're going to be in a pretty good place. And if I'm going to live to 80, I want to be well past that, actually. I'm going to be longer, live longer than that. I don't want to spend the last 10 years of my life in hospital and taking pills and complaining. I don't think that's a very good quality of life. Have you found the magic strategy that goes from we all know this, like there's nothing you're saying that's new information. Have you found that magic strategy that goes from we need to eat well, we know this nutrition plays a huge role, but everyone finds it so challenging? (sighs) I guess when I started studying it, And then living it and trying to teach my kids and getting so much eye rolling. I've just, I've stopped. I don't talk about it to people unless they really want to know about it, but I practice it every day in my life and how I choose to shop. And it's not fancy. It's not difficult, but I, you know, things like I try to buy organic when I can. If I can't, I just wash my fruit and veg because there's so many toxins and chemicals on things now. I try to eat the right amount of protein and um, complex carbs and fats for my needs and and what my body needs because it has, uh, you know, there's certain things that I know uh, I have predisposition for and and, um, I need to watch those and not worrying about what everyone else is doing. I've really, you know, just shut all that down. I don't Google stuff anymore and I don't take advice from friends or other people because there's so much information. So that's part of taking the reins, just finding your team, your little tribe of health carers and just doing what they say and working with them, trusting the process. And having that investigator approach is what we heard, you know, start to get curious about your body, your mind, your life, and then start to build that team around you and take the advice from the people that you really value. 
I just want to come back to that question around how do you know if it's menopause or something else? I think I just to clarify on that, you're saying just go to the doctor anyway. Like that we're not going to answer that on this podcast. It's around if you're at 45, if you haven't been, go and get that report card from your doctor. If you're questioning whether it's autoimmune or you're questioning whether it's menopause, that's a great time to start tracking all these things that we're talking about. Yeah, I don't think it's formalised in Australia yet, but you can certainly go in and say, I'm here for this and this and this. You're allowed to have any tests that you want. You're probably going to have to pay for them, but you have a right to have whatever you want. So don't let a doctor talk you out of it. And if they do, then you need to go and find another one. Basically, the gold standard now for, I don't like to use the word diagnose because it's a natural, just like puberty, it's a natural part of life, is symptoms. Mm -hmm. The doctors are just going to take your symptoms and go, okay, you're in perimenopause. Okay, that's helpful information. Yeah, as you get towards that. So the distinction is that you're in menopause when you've had 12 months without a period. So you're basically in post-menopause then. So you've only got a 24-hour window of being in menopause and then you're in post-menopause. Okay. And you could start to look at what your luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone are doing towards the end because the body is incredible. Even with all this shit going on, it still wants you to get pregnant. So those two hormones are going to start rising and stay high for the rest of your life because they're trying to stimulate an egg and the whole process. Wow. (laughs) Is that amazing? (laughs) We all know I am a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? Project Health Monitoring, or PHM, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so their students feel known, valued, and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by feeling directly engaged socially and emotionally. Creating this resilience helps them to feel safe and enhances their well-being, performance, and academic outcomes. For a free Project Health Check on your school, please click the link provided in our show notes. Now, back to the show. So one of the questions that came through was someone's going through pre-menopause now and they're like, what should I expect as I move into the next chapter? They're like, will it be the same? Will it look the same? Will it feel the same as they move through to menopause? How is menopause different? Yeah, that's a really good question too. I certainly will say that the mood and the erratic feelings and the craziness and the brain fog all calms down. And I like to use the term moving into calmer waters. That sounds very reassuring. I like that. And I would say that's what I've experienced. But then there's some other things that start to happen. And because I was on the young side and it was COVID land and I was moving, I sort of slipped through the cracks a bit with some tests. So I've had a few little here we go moments, such as the doctor said to me, oh, now you're in menopause. Oh, you need to go and do a bone scan, a bone density scan. And it turned out that I've got mild osteopenia, which is the pre preemptive stage to osteoporosis. And that's not a good place to go. So thankfully, it's only early stage. So I actually started taking hormone therapy 
and that took many months for me to feel comfortable doing that. So I think that's been very beneficial. I'm doing weight training two to three times a week and taking calcium and just trying to do things to support my bone health. So that that was one thing. The other thing which women are embarrassed about and understandably so because we don't like talking about our downstairs bits, but, you know, everything starts to get thin, the vaginal wall, the lining, the whole genital area changes because, again, that estrogen is being removed from the body. And so everything that was once plump and moist and lubricated is dry and cracked and irritated. So that's going to have implications on your libido and your how you feel about sex and all those things. So that's quite a big area which, you know, there's all sorts of little things that can happen there and something happened to me. I had um, a very minor bladder prolapse. It was that minor that we just, I, we, I just used some localised estrogen, vaginal estrogen, and that sorted that out, which I, I'm so grateful for because I had to go to hospital. They weren't sure what was going on and it was a very scary time for me yeah yeah and and thankfully it was only very minor so I know you hopped over the libido Mm -hmm. but I'm going to hop back into the libido because it's a very very good question to ask and very relevant to anyone that's in a relationship because when the sex drive changes it doesn't change for one person it changes for both absolutely in what I mean by that is if one person doesn't feel like sex anymore or they're not excited by foreplay then that has a huge implication on the relationship and the other person Mm. so do you want to talk around that just a little bit? Yeah, let's sink our teeth in, Ali. Yeah. What do people do if they start to notice that? I guess the first thing you've already spoken about, it is normal. And I think that's a really important comment to make here is you're not alone in that space. Oh, yeah. But once you've identified that that's happening, what next? Well, the wonderful thing about this new family of bioidentical hormones is that and bioidentical basically means that the molecular structure of the preparation is mirroring what your body makes. So it's a lot safer to take. And they now can make a localized estrogen in the form of creams or pessaries for your vagina. You're basically putting it in your vagina. So it's affecting exactly those tissues around it. And that can really make all the difference to a lot of women for their sex life. You know, things a smoother that plumps everything up again it removes or reduces the pain where do they go to get that that is something that you need to go to a doctor about and doctors are now starting to realize that that how powerful that is so it's not a big deal to get that you could go also if you're going to see a gynecologist you need to discuss that with them but it's very easy to get and use that's been a game changer i know in women that i've talked to that's been very useful using lubricant you know if maybe that wasn't something used all the time that's sort of going to be a go-to now it's just something you've got to use and that can also be something I know for people that have never bought it before quite daunting you know Mm. what do I use where do I get it from are people going to see me especially if you're in a country town or in a local area so you know what I say to people around that is ask your partner because it they're, they're invested in this as well, yeah. you know, so they might be comfortable to go and get it. You might be going through enough already with everything going on. This is so right. Yeah, or get it when you're on holidays in a town you don't know anyone. Like you don't have to get it in your local chemist or the local supermarket. No, well, look, I'd even suggest going to a proper women's pleasure 
faith-based sex shop, if that's the word you still use. Are there men's and women's sex shops Well, separately? I don't know if there's men's only, but I recently had a very quick 24-hour trip to Melbourne with some friends and they, they showed me this new place, which I'd actually heard about. And it blew me away because it's all about the science and understanding like creams and, and gels and lubricants, how that affects the tissues and what you need for your body. Mm. And then all the devices. I mean, there's all these incredible things all focused on women's pleasure rather than your good old sex shop where you walk in and Hmm. <laughs> it's just it's yeah. a very different approach. You know, it's about education and feeling comfortable exploring sexuality and female pleasure, which many of us, myself included, have not been encouraged to do. You know, there's been a lot of taboo around that. Or encouraged to talk about with mm. your partners, you know. In therapy, it's often the conversation we have is how often do you guys talk about this? How do you talk about it? And more often than not, the answer is, oh, God, we don't talk about it. We just do it. Yeah. And Again, we're at such a busy stage of our lives, so it's a bit of a, is there a time for a quickie? And I say now, really, slowy is the new quickie because Mm. quickie can never happen again because what used to be and what used to happen, that's not going to work anymore. There's got to be a new way. Otherwise, you're not going to resume your loving sex life again with your partner or, you know, you're not going to be interested in that because... It just has to be a different approach. And funnily enough, I've started having a bit of a conversation with a sex therapist and um, she likens it to, in the traditional sense, there was the entree, foreplay, main course, intercourse, and then dessert, cuddles and kisses afterwards before you fall asleep. But now she talks about it like we just have lots of share plates on the table (laughs) we try a bit of this and we try a bit of that and we just see what we really like we might have a little bit more of one thing and then there might be a bit of dessert at the end but it's really removing the emphasis of sexual intercourse being the driving force behind this whole experience you know because for us that is not the case you know we're looking for intimacy and if you have a partner who's interested in being with you for a long time then I think they're probably willing and interested and curious to do that too. If it's going to improve their chances, then I'd say they're probably going to be a part of it. Mm. And what I'm hearing from you is if you're experiencing right now that your libido is dropping off, and look, this is not just about menopause, let me tell you as a therapist, like, you know, this can be in any stage Mm or age of life, a couple of things. One is that it can improve. Yes. Don't assume that where you're at right now is where you need to stay or that it gets worse. It just means that you need a little bit more information. You need a little bit more education. You might need a few extra little toys or creams or, you know, and so talk to a sex therapist, talk to Alex. We'll have her information in the show notes and we'll talk about it at the end of, I'm just putting you in the deep end there, Alex. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah, love talking <laughs> talk about to it. Alex, but, or talk to your counsellor or talk to your doctor, but, you know, just don't, Don't just give up. Don't just be like, this is how it's got to be forever because it doesn't need to be. And one of the key questions that I think is extremely valuable for any relationship is, is quality or quantity more important? And that's a question for each of you. 
And that question doesn't have a one minute answer. It's not quality full stop. It's like, all right, well, what does quality look like? And what does that mean for you? And how have we experienced this in the past that it's been great? And what haven't we tried that you want to know more about? Or, you know, and then I'll get a little awkward for a little while because you've had this big conversation, but that will die off as well. Yeah, that's it, it, so right, Ali. And it's, it's again, that idea of reset. You know, there's so many parts to that. It can seem very, so much responsibility and um, overwhelming, but just take these things bit by bit. You know, you've got a long time to work this out and it's not going to all fall into place straight away. And I think I felt such relief realising that myself. You can't solve it all. It takes years. And give yourself permission. That's what I'm hearing. It's okay. Yeah, it is absolutely okay. And switching from being so critical about yourself to saying, yeah, I'm actually really tired. It's 11 o'clock. I'm going to go and lie down and read a book or go to sleep or watch telly. I'm just going to be more compassionate and kind and my language to myself is going to be kinder. And Mm. that's been very helpful for me and in my approach to others too. And sometimes we need to have a mirror held up to remind us of that as well. We're not meant to be able to do all this stuff on our own. Sometimes just having that person in your corner coaching, cheering you on, feeding you information, bite-sized pieces so it's not completely overwhelming can make the world a difference when you're going through something and you feel like you're in the thick of it. Yeah, girlfriends are so important to talk to, but sometimes you just want to talk to someone you know, is not so close to you. And uh, that's why it's important to even just finding a counsellor, a therapist, someone to talk to, a massage therapist, a Reiki master, whoever you need in your tribe, that having someone to talk to would be a very useful person to have. And I want to ask you, Alex, about your opinion on hormone replacement therapy, because that's something that I know has got a pretty bad rap in the past. Do you know where it lands at the moment? And do you have an opinion on that? Well, yeah, I mean, when I went through the decision to go on it myself, I had to think about my mother who had had a double mastectomy and, you know, she'd taken HRT before. So, you know, you no one knows what the cause is of these things, but it was certainly a very popular theory at the time. And in the early 2000s, they did this big study and it seemed to terrify women that HRT, the old HRT, was to blame. We've come a long way in 20 years And so as I was referring to before about bioidentical hormones, so these are much more molecularly closer to our natural hormones that we create and they're not derived from horses or pigs or wherever and they have um, beneficial effects on the body and they come in many forms. There's, There's probably about 15 or 20 different brands. So it's what works for you too. So... For example, I've got a gel that I rub into my arms and that's an estrogel. And then there's Prometrium, which is the progesterone. And we take those together and some, you just take a pill and it's got both in it. So it's just shopping around and and sort of seeing what's appropriate for you. There's slightly different variations to the percentages of hormones in in the prescription, in the preparation. And obviously some women, it's not appropriate for them to take because of their history or any illnesses that they've had. So it is a very personalised thing and it's something that needs to be discussed with your doctor that you trust. And if they don't know about something, then 
ask them to go and research it, which is what I did with my doctor. I asked her to go and look at some bioidentical hormones. I'm going to stop you there, Alex, because what's happening in my head for someone that hasn't been through it is I feel a little overwhelmed Mm -hmm. in that what I'm hearing is it's an individual approach. You need your own individual framework to how you're going to move forwards. And that comes from looking at where you've come from and where you are now and the symptoms that are occurring. And But if your doctor or your whoever it is that you're seeing isn't on board, how do people know where to go next? Like when you talk about that, you know, your people, your team, your, you know, someone spoke about in a previous podcast, getting the boardroom correct, you know, who's on your board, <laughs> yeah. who's on your wellbeing board. What are the options? Who are the people? Yeah. If it did come to that and your doctor wasn't someone that was willing to work with you, there's some wonderful foundations in Australia, like the Australian Menopause Society, Jean Hales for Women. Oh gosh, there's a couple more, but even if you found ones from the UK, they've all got great messages and they've got a list of resources of places you could go to find okay. that information. And often they might have their own set of, of doctors online that can start to, you know, you could start to be seen by them. Yeah. And, you know, this is not criticizing doctors. I feel sometimes like, and I'm just going to name this, sometimes on challenges it changes, but like if your doctor's not listening, it's not about that. Your doctors are human and they can't know everything and it's a relationship. So Mm. your counselor is not always going to be the right person for right now. Your physio is not always going to be the right person for right now for this situation. Your doctor, you know, so this is not a like doctors are getting it wrong at all. This is about, no. no, this is about finding your team for this scenario at this point in your life? And is there someone else out there that might be the person that might know a little bit more about this area in your life? Mm. That's absolutely right. And and the fact is that the medical industry hasn't really, when you're studying, there's not a lot on women's health, particularly menopause health. Same with nutrition. There was only four weeks of nutrition done in studies. Mm. So and then they're constantly having to do professional development and there's so much. In everything, yeah. in every area, every facet of the human body and the human mind. Mm. So, you know, I think this is where you talked about, and we've said it a few times, get that investigator approach, you know, get more curious, ask your friends, ask, you know, ring Alex and say, who, who's around? Mm. Who can I talk to? It doesn't sound like there's a checklist. I was hoping at the end of this podcast, we would be like, here are the 10 things. Oh, look, there probably is. And um, I'm starting to collaborate with a group who are about doing that. They're supporting women in the workplace and keeping women at work going through menopause. So there's a lot of these type of businesses starting to pop up, which is so exciting that it's about educating and supporting women. Let's talk about your symptoms, how we can manage them. And then let's talk about your lifestyle and putting them together so that you can move forward and live a decent, a pretty good life. Which brings me to this question and my friend will know exactly who they are. They said to me this morning, is there life post-menopause? They said it feels (laughs) like there's not, you don't get through it. You don't come out the other side. So Alex, do you have a a comment on that? Yeah, I, I actually think it's better. You know, you go through many crappy things and unknowns, but you just know yourself so much better and you just don't put up with any garbage. You know what you want. Usually you're in a position to say yes or no to things a lot more. Just following what you want to do. It's also liberating because often it's time when kids are starting to leave home. So you can start to go inward and think, what do I really want for myself? And so for me, uh, I've started to come up with this idea of 
women starting to plan life after meno, you know, so you don't just fall on a heap and all the babies have left the nest and what are you going to do with your life? Start to think about those things in your mid to late 40s. What do you want to do? What do you want your day to look like? What's exercise you're going to do? What interests have you always wanted to pursue that you haven't had time? Start writing that that bucket list mm. because why not? You know, we've, we've given so much to life and we've put ourselves at the bottom of the list for our families. So this is a time when we put ourselves first because if we don't, we, we will get sick. And it's flipping that mindset from feeling like you have shackles on to creating this as an opportunity where the world's your oyster. Yes, that's a really good point, Ali. It is opportunity. And without a doubt, menopause gives you the shits initially, literally maybe sometimes. <laughs> and takes away your sex life, which we spoke about. Does the sex life get better after menopause? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm travelling on that road but I know that I have approached it with a very open dialogue. I'm always an open book and I just say whatever I'm thinking, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but I just feel like the communication is so much more important at this stage. If this is something that I want to maintain for the long of my life, the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah. And Alex, I'm just thinking about the questions that came through and there are a couple that we haven't covered yet. I know we need to finish up for the interview. So let's, let's pull this all together. The one that we haven't spoken about yet is, the time that your mum went through it, is that a good indication of kind of when you can roughly expect to go through it yourself? Yeah, there is some information to suggest that that's important to have a look at when you're coming into that phase of life. These days, though, our environment has a greater hold on our health. So it's it's not the whole story, but certainly family history can play a part, yes. Mm-hmm. And also around fitness and training, owning a gym here, I've seen the shift and the change over time with women going through menopause, but I'd love to get your opinion on that. Mm. So we've talked about kindness and compassion for ourselves, and this is a time to also use those in how we move our bodies and you know, our bones are changing, our muscles changing, and so it's very important that we maintain exercise and we start to really focus on weight-bearing exercise and some cardio. But flogging yourself at the gym, doing really high-intensity stuff every second day is not a way forward. And that actually I have seen for myself when women's bodies start to change and they're feeling like they're losing control. Right, I've just got to exercise more. I've got to do this. I've got to get out there every day. And all they're doing is winding up their stress hormones and that that stress hormone response in the body, which actually contributes to weight gain. So mm. it's all about slowing down, doing things, walking, swimming, cycling, getting that weight-bearing exercise in, but actually finding things that you really like whether it's popular or not, I'm doing, it's called Gypsy Gym. It's like a flamenco dance fitness class and I'm the youngest and it's it's great. It's fun. But um, finding things that you really like that you're going to keep doing for the long term. What I'm hearing is, and it's something we have spoken about on the podcast, but what I'm hearing particularly here in this episode is that what can come up for people is that really tough inner critic that says, I'm not good enough. 
So as you're talking, that's what I'm coming back to and circling around. It's like when women hit this chapter of their life, they start looking at themselves and thinking there's something wrong with me. Uh, I'm not good enough. And so what I want to say to each and every one of the women out there is you are the driver of your car and you can go anywhere you like, but you're not going to make it far without fuel, water, pumping the tires. And that's what Alex is talking about here. It's like humans are incredible and we can survive on very little, but you're not going to make the next chapter well, or you're not going to still be able to move functionally, think clearly, feel inspired and motivated and driven to to do fun things and find that joy if you're running on empty. Yeah, that's right. And I think when, when you say that, it reminds me of when I was back there and feeling invisible, mm. suddenly feeling like uh, I'm not worthy, like um, no one's looking at me anymore and just my complete self-esteem took such a dive and that would have been hormonal and and mood going on there, but also just your body is changing before your eyes and Mm. yeah, punishing yourself, as I said, is not the way to fix that. And can have the opposite effect from what I can hear. We spoke before we bookmarked it. So let's bring it back. The tie around the belly, because that is often what I hear in the gym when you mention that. Yeah. So the little control tower in the brain, the hypothalamus is always looking what's going on. And if there's stress, then we're releasing more cortisol and then we're releasing more blood sugar into the bloodstream to try and um, you know, have the energy to do what we need to do. But if there's excess, it's got to be stored somewhere. And if that keeps happening, then it's creating inflammation. So inflammation is building in all these adipose tissue or, or fat that's being created. And it's sort of attracts it inflammation attracts more inflammation so obviously that's not good because then it leads to some metabolic problems with our heart and um, with our blood sugar management our thyroid so just from this belief and, and punishing ourselves to try and stay in control and keep our body how it was it creates um, a cascade of issues so if we're going to do this We've just got to approach it calmly and from a much a different perspective about what this all means. And I've learned now that, you know, the young maiden, that time has passed, but now we move into this wise, revered, sought after women because in other countries like Japan, older women are really respected and look up to because they know so much. Mm. And in Australia, we've got a terrible perception of, of aging and and older women and so I guess that's why I feel lucky I feel like I'm on the cusp of this wave of change and Mm. I want to be a part of it I know I want to change women's lives I don't want them to feel like I did way back at the start yeah and there's two things there one is we put so much emphasis on what we see in the mirror and the other thing is that like we have so much to offer as we get older and I think we have such a perception on what aging means Mm. and so we need to like you said you're going to be pivotal in this Alex in helping us understand that just because we're getting older doesn't mean we're losing everything like we can still gain so much in our lives but it's how we view it yeah I mean I am pro-aging I I hate this whole anti-aging idea sure there's ways you can help to keep your skin looking great and using products like collagen but it's natural it's normal and we should we shouldn't be trying to cover it up and there's so many benefits from embracing who we are at this stage of life and and the old paradigm that's gone like that's old school that doesn't apply anymore 
So I think we can write our, our own page here, start a fresh canvas and design that for ourselves, what that's going to look like. And if you're having trouble with that, think about what advice you'd give to a best friend or to one of your daughters that's coming through the ranks. How do you want them to see you? How do you want to role model this space? You know, how do you want to show up for yourself and how do you want to show up for those around you? So that can sometimes just help with that lens piece. We are running out of time though, Alex, and we haven't spoken about the men. Yes. So any men that have hung in there for this (laughs) last five minutes of the podcast, I honour you for that. What do you want to say to the men? Oh, fellas, yeah, look, it is a tough ride and thank you for sticking in there and if you're confused that's very normal but being supportive and encouraging asking questions about how you can help or be involved is really it's very relieving and comforting and trying to actually understand what is going on also hormonally in a woman's body and then you might not take everything so personally because it's not about you you're just in the firing line because you're so close but there is a lot to learn and particularly in the workplace to being supportive and giving women the space and making them feel welcome to stay at work is a wonderful place to go to and that's just through education and I think we'll see more of that coming. Mm, and I was thinking then when we, with the theme of the boardroom or the theme of having the team around you, men, if you can step into the space of like, let's ask some more questions here or let's help you find the right people, that's only going to help your relationship with your partner, whether that be a work relationship or an intimate relationship. So, you know, helping find out, well, if you don't feel supported by these people, who else can we ask or who else can we see? You know, if you're only being the accountant in the room and this isn't, you know, <laughs> anything on accountants, but if you're only like, <laughs> you know, you're spending more money doing more tests. Well, perhaps that's what they need to do, as you've heard about in this podcast, is it's we've got to explore a whole lot to kind of come up with what the ingredients are that are going in whatever it is that we're making here. Mm. Mm. Alex, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want the audience to know? I think we've covered off really well, Ali, on a lot. There's so much to talk about, but I think we've jammed in a hell of a lot of information in this we session. Have. Yeah. <laughs> Too much. Alex, where do people find you? Give me a rundown on like what you offer and where they find you because there'll be so many people. They definitely can't come to me. I know nothing about this area, nothing about this space. So I'm very active on Instagram. I post a lot on there. So you can see me real life there. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and obviously on my website, which is alexrobinsonwellness.com. We can have a 15-minute discovery call and just check out, you know, if we're going to work well together and then we can do some clinical nutrition and wellness if I can't help you, then I will send you on to someone who can. So you work one-on-one? Yes, yes. And do you offer, like, do you do keynote speaking or you obviously do podcasts? Yes, so that's something that I want to develop. I want to get back into doing events and speaking at wellness events. That's sort of my passion. So I am looking to start to design some more events in the local area and collaborating with others in that space, yeah. Great, and thank you for bringing everything to this interview like you've brought your a-game to this you you've really opened up on a personal level and I really appreciate that because I think sometimes when we're talking to experts often it can feel a little bit removed from what we're experiencing ourselves and I just noticed how how honest you were in that space about so many things so thank you Alex I, I can't shout out enough about that oh that's a pleasure Ali and, and I, I feel that that's really the only way people are going to relate and draw comfort from what you say when you can just speak on their terms and that you know the experiences are there and it makes people feel like oh I, I can talk about it maybe I can 
One message was loud and clear throughout this episode. Your body, your health, your life. This can be a rocky stage of life for most. It's time to evaluate and take the reins. No one cares more about your body than you do. So it's time to step up to the plate and take charge. I love the idea that Alex spoke about with the report card at 45. It's the underlying message that you can't just walk into a doctor and get one assessment and they tell you what's going on. It's an investigation. You need to spend the time, ask the questions, find the right people and try different things. I know I mentioned episode 26 with Jessica on the nervous system and autonomic system. This is a great one to listen to for anyone that wants to dive deep into nourishing and understanding their own nervous system. As always, thanks guys for showing up today and joining us. Every week I'm blown away by our growing community of like-minded, all-round awesome humans. So go out this week and shine your light. You have so much to offer and it starts by showing up for yourself first. Have a brilliant week and I will see you all next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.